uh, we are uh, finishing today our series on whole life discipleship, which we've been walking through for four weeks now. This is the fourth week. And next week, we'll jump back into our study of going through the book of Acts. We are in the middle of Acts chapter six. If you're reading ahead, uh, we'll, be, we'll be walking through that next week. And, and for, for uh, the, the foreseeable future, up until the summer, we'll be walking through uh, systematically verse by verse uh, Acts, which is our typical habit and routine. But we've been taking uh, the last four weeks to just unpack really for us this picture and this calling uh, to the Parks Church. Yes, you could say to the, to the church uh, uh, at large as well, because it's Jesus' call to the church to go and make disciples in Matthew 28. But we've been talking specifically to us, right? The community known as the Parks Church. And so if you're new or you're a visitor with us, this is a great time. And we're just kind of fleshing out um, a, a little bit of vision for us, a little bit of, hey, what does this look like? How does this play out faithfully in the context of, of this uh, community, the Parks Church? We're not talking about any other church but us, this uh, community. And so if you have been with us, and, and if not, maybe you've missed a week or so, uh, I want to just kind of fill you in on where we've been going. We've been using this, this phrase here, whole life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus. And in in week one, obviously, we talked about what, what does it mean to be a whole life disciple? Why do we even have to have the caveat whole life on the word disciple? Why can't we just say disciples being transformed? Well, and we unpacked a little bit of the um, frameworks that, that kind of we're in, in in our church culture. And so we need to state unequivocally that when we talk about discipleship, it permeates every facet and every fiber fiber of our being, whole life discipleship. And then, and then Sam walked for two weeks through the next two parts of the, the way of Jesus. And we looked at the historical call that Jesus gave to, to disciples. And we looked at what a first century follower of Jesus would have understood that they were entering into in this process known as discipleship. And then we really looked last week, he looked at, at how these things play out. And we said, by and large, the rails in which discipleship or abiding in Jesus run on are, are the spiritual disciplines, are the disciplines set forth by Jesus that he practiced in his life, that he calls his apprentices, if you will, his disciples, those who have responded to his invitation to follow him, the way in which uh, we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, like Sam said, the, the disciplines in of themselves don't transform us. And in fact, if we try to do the disciplines apart from Jesus, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, it just turns into legalism, Right? It just turns into us being a bunch of Pharisees and, and, and us either being really, really depressed because we haven't done them all that well or really, really prideful because we've done really, really good, right? And so both of those we want to avoid, right? Because we want to understand that being transformed is a work of the Holy Spirit. And the avenue and the vehicle which the Holy Spirit gives us are those spiritual disciplines by which we follow Jesus. And, and today... Um, I want to pick up and, and, and kind of land this plane for us corporately by looking at something called belonging. Belonging. And if on that list of disciplines you remember from last week, one of the spiritual disciplines that we saw was the discipline, the spiritual discipline of community. That that is a, a discipline in the life of a disciple, in the life of a church, right? That we understand that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, right? That it is not just God saves us individually and places us on an island, but he places us in a community. He places us with the people. The church, right, is not the building. We all know that, right? The church is the community of the redeemed. So God saves us and then places us in a family. And so I, I want to make this statement that, that our deepest need, our deepest longing is the need or longing 
to belong. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to go very quickly through a lot of this. It's going to be a ton of content. You can write belonging at the top of those notes. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture verses uh, this morning, a lot of points, probably about 27 points. If you can keep up uh, with me, you think I'm joking. Um, and so I, I had the privilege, and I don't know if it's a privilege or maybe it, I just had the reality of growing up in, in three different decades. I was born in the 80s. My early childhood was lived through the 80s. The bulk of my childhood uh, was lived in the 90s. And then I, I caught a little bit of the tail end there of the early 2000s. Anybody else in, in, in that kind of boat, right? I'm a product of the 90s. So they, yeah, we see people raising the roof. Like that, that shows that you're a product of the 90s. You're raising the roof, okay? Um, and, and so um, one of the interesting things about the 90s is that there was a movement, not just of bad music, but there was a, a movement um, around children um, called the self-esteem movement. And maybe some of you parented during the 90s, and so you, you understand this was self-esteem movement. And uh, this was an, actu- an actual movement based upon a hypothesis, okay? And the hypothesis was this. It said that individuals were most fully satisfied when they had a high sense of self-esteem, Right? Individuals are most satisfied when they have a high level of self-esteem. The problem with that is that that movement, that movement, the entire movement was based on a hypothesis. Okay, and so this whole movement was geared around that idea. The problem is the evidence did not support it. The problem is, as they went through and we saw the progression of what's called the self-esteem movement, is that near the end of the 90s, research began to come out. And this, from an actual evidence-based research on the self-esteem movement, states this. Self-esteem has little to no positive effect on individuals' lives. For many, it had a significantly negative effect. Right? So now you know why I'm all jacked up. Okay? It's far greater than that. But right, it was this movement where you were talking, you can conquer the world. You can do anything, right? You are the greatest. You are, you know, right, the bee's knees. You are, you are it. You are the pinnacle. You are which everything gravitates around, right, in this world. It is you and you are great. You are going to change the world by yourself. Until we begin to actually talk to people. Until actual research. And again, this isn't Christian research, right? Studies out of Florida State, the leading study actually out of Florida State. Asked the question, what single quality was most identified with satisfaction and well-being? And the study, and I quote, states this. The healthiest and most satisfied individuals in life are those who have a place to belong. The healthiest and most satisfied individuals in life are those who have a place to belong. In other words, our deepest satisfaction comes not from achieving personal autonomy, but through acceptance into unconditional love and in an unbreakable belonging to a people, the research states. I feel like I have read that somewhere. That the deepest satisfaction, the deepest joy, 
The answer to the longing that is within all of us is found in a place of unconditional love and a belonging to a group or a community. You see, this is what the story of our God has been writing since Genesis. This idea that our deepest need is to belong to him. That Genesis 1, chapter 1, and chapter 2 both talk about a time in the Garden of Eden, right? Where Adam and Eve had this unbreaking belonging and fellowship with God until what happens, right? Genesis chapter 3, sin splinters and fractures that belonging and we are separated from God. And our deepest longing and sense within all of us is to return back to that belonging is to return back to that fellowship. And before I get into how belonging plays itself out in a community, we need to understand first and foremost, the deepest need in all of us is to belong to God. That the gospel is this, that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that you and I could not earn belonging with God. You and I could not manufacture enough good works, enough deeds to earn fellowship with our God. Again, there had to be another way, and that way is Jesus. That Jesus is the one who provides for us the deepest longing and desire of our heart. He brings us back into fellowship and belonging with God. With the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. That, that's what Jesus does to us. Romans chapter 7 verse 4 says this. And listen, we won't understand believing, belonging as a community until we understand first that we belong to God. Right? We don't understand what God does until we understand this. Look at it. It says, likewise, my brothers... You also have died to the law, right? The striving, the works-based things. You've died to that through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Not to one another. We're not there yet, okay? To another. Who is the another we belong to? It tells us. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. And so first and And foremost and foundationally, we must understand the foundation of belonging is found in Jesus Christ. That we, through Christ, belong to God. That is our security. That is our hope. That is our anchor, okay? We belong to another. So that means something. That we belong to God, right? One, right? I told you first point of 27. That we no longer belong to ourselves. Right? And listen, that is really good news. And the Bible over and over talks about when we belong to ourselves, it uses words like death and darkness, right? We're enslaved, right, to our our flesh and our passions, right? Belonging through Christ rids us from that. So we belong to God. We no longer belong to ourselves or to, 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 look in Thessalonians. I believe we have that one for him, Jim. It says, for you all were children of the light, for children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. That's because we belong to God. God is epitomized by light, okay? Look at this one. But since we belong to what? The day. Why? Because of Jesus. We have been transferred from our old life to our new life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And now we belong to that kingdom. But it's not just those two things that we need to see as Jesus redeems us and reconciles us, and now we belong to God. That when we belong to God, here's what he does. And I've alluded to it already that belonging to God is not the end. Belonging to God is also belonging to others. 
that when God saves us, he calls us into belonging with himself and with his family. And this is what we're going to play out. This is what we're going to look at in the life of a disciple. What does it mean to belong to the church? What does it mean to belong to one another, other believers in Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be this radical picture of diversity and unity to the watching world, right? What what does that look like? You see, there's places in Scripture uh, that, that, that I just absolutely love because they reveal the heart of our God and His care, understanding our deepest longing, right? Places like, like Psalm 68, 6, that say, that say, God takes the lonely and puts them in a family. Psalm 68, 6. He takes the lonely. He takes those of us who, who, who feel that, who sense that, who, who do not belong in a family, right? But through Jesus, bring us and place us in a family. He places us with one another. So we are going to look at what does it look like in this context, in, in a faith family, to belong, all right? And so we're going to look at the context of belonging. We're going to look at the content of belonging. We're going to look at the roadblocks to belonging. And then finally, we're going to look at the consequences of belonging. And you'll notice that I use interchangeably belonging and community. They actually have a slight variance, which I'm not going to unpack this morning. But really, community would be the practice. Gospel community would be the practice of or the discipline of belonging. All right. So let's first look at the context of belonging. God gives us the ultimate picture of belonging in unity. You know where it's found? It's found in himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A pivotal, critical doctrine that we believe called the Trinity. And listen to me. Nothing blows the circuitry of our mind like trying to understand the Trinity. Have you ever tried that, right? That we have one God in three separate persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But here's what they do, right? This communal God. They work together in perfect harmony. While maintaining distinct functions, they are united in purpose. While the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they have distinct functions, have one singular purpose. What is that purpose? What's the purpose of the Trinity? What is the purpose of those three persons as one God? You know what it is? Glory. To glorify one another. Well, how how does that play out? Right? Three distinct functions, one purpose of glory. I'm not going to try to explain it to you. I'm going to turn to my favorite author and pastor, Tim Keller, right? We love him around here. How does the Trinity glorify each other? Listen to this. The inner life of the triune God, however, is utterly different. The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by, get this, a mutually self-giving love. When we delight and serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and desires of the other. Each of the divine persons centers upon the others. Get that in the Trinity. Get that in the Godhead. That the other's interests center around the other person, right? And here's what it says. None of them demands that the other revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring out love and delight and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the others. Get that. 
That is the picture of our triune God. That is the picture of the glorification of God and what's taking place. Listen, we as disciples have one purpose in life, right? Go back to the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? What is the goal of all of humanity? Do you know what the answer is? To glorify God and to worship him forever, it says. Where do we get that picture? We get that picture from our God. We get that from the picture of the Trinity. We get this beautiful picture of a common purpose with distinct function. And so listen, for us as a church, we have one goal. We have one common purpose that points our belonging. That is to glorify God. The whole point of whole life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus is so that God might be seen clearly. It's so that God might be glorified. Right? Like that's, that's our end. That's our goal in all of this, right? And listen, as a community, I think most of us would understand that's clearly our goal. But how does that play out? You see, that's critical to have that common goal and that common understanding if we're truly going to belong one to another. But how does that play out? What, what else is required for this context? You know what else is required? Two things, and, and they're very simple, right? Proximity. Proximity. We have to be around. If we have any hope of belonging and being in gospel community, we have to be around one another. We have to be with people. And what else? Time. Time. Whole life discipleship, belonging, community, whatever you want to call it, it takes time. Intentional time. Invested together. And listen. Not like American time, but like a long time, right? Not like fast food time, but like slow, marinated, good home cooking time, right? Anybody smoke, right? No brisket, okay, like on a grill. I almost had you go, oh, I'll confess that, right? <laughs> like a brisket, what? It takes time, slowly marinating. It's the same thing here. Okay, so now a question, Kyle, right? We're talking about belonging. This is the context. So we, we have a common purpose, right? We want to glorify God. We want to see whole life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus, plus proximity, right? I, I like math. Plus time equals belonging. Whoa. Nope. No. That's not always the case. See, just like I said at the beginning, belonging is something that the Holy Spirit brings about in our lives. Belonging is a work of the Spirit to God and to one another. Belonging is an outcome of the Spirit's work, is a result of the Spirit doing something in and through us together. That's the context, right? It will be impossible to happen unless we understand our common purpose, right? unless we are by one another, unless we are investing time over the long haul. But we need to understand that it is still an outcome and a result of the Spirit doing His work. However, the church, the community of faith, things like praxis groups that we talk about, serving together, Bible studies, those provide additional context for belonging in community to occur and work itself out. But our goal, listen to me, Our goal as a church is not belonging. It's not. Our goal as a church is to glorify God 
is to see what Jesus calls us to do, to make disciples who make disciples. That is our goal. And along the way, belonging occurs. Andy Crouch, um, in his book, uh, Strong and Weak, great book, he has this little two-by-two chart talking about belonging. And he says, true belonging is a result or an outcome when two things are present in your life. When you are known and when you are loved. Look at this chart. When you are known and loved. Look, it's this one up here. Now, these three other things, they're prevalent. They're around all the time. But they're not belonging. Right? In those spaces where you're known but not loved. Like truly loved. Listen, we're talking deep, true love here, okay? Gospel. This is gospel stuff. That's rejection. Or this one, not known and not loved, that's where you're just ignored and rejected. That's, I think we've all been in those places in our lives. The bottom right, not known but loved, that one actually is not ignored and rejected. That's actually fitting in, right? So the title there's wrong. It's called fitting in. And I'll tell you, that bottom right one, is where most people spend their church life. Trying to fit in. Just trying to assimilate in. That's often how people look at the church. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Just tell me the program I have to get in. Just tell me the next step and then boom, I'll have what I think I have. And then what's still in your heart? What's, what's still going on in here? If you're honest, you're still going, I'm still missing something. I'm still, I'm still not satisfied Oh, I'm a believer. I belong to God. But there's still something missing in my life here. And that's where belonging takes place. And what we as a community are striving for by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, we are striving to get to be a community where we are known and loved. That we are participating in one another's lives in such a way where we know each other deeply and we love each other deeply. Listen, that is a power and result of the gospel. We can't manufacture that. The church can't put programs to make that happen, right? And we do these things like practice groups. We do these things. We do the programs so that they provide context where the Holy Spirit might do these things. Where it put us into proximity with one another. It put us in time with one another. But listen, this is a work of the Holy Spirit where you're known and loved by a group of people. This is the way God designed it. This is a hallmark. This is a mark of a true disciple. It's true belonging with a community of people. And church, listen, we've, we've got a ways to go. I'm talking about our church. We've got a ways to go. But listen, this is the journey. This is the, the, the long haul for us. But this is the context of belonging. Now, the second thing is this, is the content of belonging. And some of you, 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 you have faux community, pseudo community, pseudo belonging. And what I hope you'll do is, is, is over even these, these couple of points, is that you'll use them almost like a filter or rubric to say, listen, is this real gospel community? Is, it, is, this like, is, this, is this something really that I see the Lord doing and stirring up in my life to grow me more and more like Jesus? Or are we just, are we just, kind, of, are we just kind of fitting in, right? And so the first content, there, there are three things that I think make up true belonging, true gospel community, and these come from the scriptures. The first one is this, is challenge. Challenge. 
Hebrews 10, 24 says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. In a true community of belonging, in a place where people really sense the work of the Spirit happening in their lives because they are part of something bigger than themselves, it will be a community of challenge that we will, we will press one another towards the things of Christ, that we will constantly be having conversations around how we pursue Jesus more faithfully. Right? I even think about, like Sam mentioned, this past week was, was a week of intentional fasting and prayer for our community. Right? Yes, we were individually practicing that, but we were also communally practicing that. Whether it was one meal or one day or all five, it, it didn't matter. But it was so incredible hearing from people just the things that the Lord were doing. Right? Even just, just in, in encouraging one another, minus the guy who called and said, hey, you want to go have a steak dinner to me? Like on day two. Um, that, was, that was wrong, by the way. Um, but it was just, it was this incredible challenge and just this infusion of the grace and mercy of Jesus. So listen, I'm not doing this alone. We're not doing this alone. Listen, that is a key piece in belonging, in being part of a true community. Now, now notice, this is not criticalness. And for some of you, this is where you, you'll have to really watch. Because you're like, man, I, man, I've got the spiritual gift of challenging, right? Oh, I can point things out in people's lives and go, listen, get better, bro. Like, I've got that. It's not a spiritual gift, by the way, okay? You call it discernment. It's just being critical. And critical, being critical, criticalness is a sin. And let me tell you, being critical is absolutely detrimental to the fabric of a community. It is detrimental to a local church. You say, what's the difference between being critical or critiquing and challenging? You want to know what the difference is? Is that when you are critical... When you're being critical of someone else, here's what you're doing. You're putting someone down so that you might elevate yourself. You're putting them down. Now, okay, what, what is challenge? Here's what the challenge is. Is you're pushing people forward alongside you. You're lifting people up. You're honoring people above yourselves. That's challenging them. That we might be formed more and more into the image of Jesus. Listen, the content of belonging, true gospel community, is going to have a challenge with it. A beautiful challenge. Listen, we're pursuing Jesus together. We are going hard after being disciples who make disciples. Let's do it. Listen, I need people to challenge me. I need people who can peer in and see those blind spots in Kyle's life. If that is missing, listen... I may be known, but I'm not loved. The most loving thing you can do is watch out for the semi that's about to hit me in my blind spot and go, Kyle, watch out. Listen, watch guard. The second thing is this, is that that there would be true confession. True confession. Confession that James speaks of in James chapter 5, verse 16, where he says, confess your sins to one another. Uh, The late Eugene Peterson, in one of his book titles, described everyday discipleship in this way. He says, everyday discipleship is long obedience in the same direction. That's how he described discipleship, long obedience in the same direction. You see, what true belonging and community is, is true vulnerability. And and actually, this is one of our elders that said it to our leaders in a practice meeting. It It is true vulnerability over the long haul. That confession is a biblical practice that we are to do with one another to show that we don't have all the answers. That we are weak. 
that we struggle, that we know the source of our strength is not ourselves. Listen, it's not our community even. It's Jesus. This is where we actually begin to put into practice if we believe places like in the scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where Paul says, listen, this is Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you that my power, Jesus' power, is perfected in our weakness. What happens in confession when we're around people, other believers, and we just go, listen, I'm struggling. I'm I'm weak. This is an area I, I have fallen in. Right? You see, the call of the community in confession is not just therapy either. It's not going, hey, just, just work harder. We have to be careful here. Hey, hey, get out of that, right? It's not, it, you don't meet confession with challenge. You meet confession with humility, grace, and a point to repentance to Jesus. Hey, let's call upon the one who forgives. Let's call upon the one whose mercies are new for us today. Let's call upon the one who saves us, who gives us grace upon grace, even though we don't deserve it. Listen, this is the context. This is, this, this, is, this is the place, this is the, the content which is found in the context of gospel community. Then, then the last one, see, if we only have these two, it's going to be this, it's going to be this really tight, wound up, right? Like this, ah, like forward, back, forward, back, if we're missing this piece. And this last piece is encouragement. And again, as a community, if we can just speak straight to the Parks Church, right? Our community, I think this is the one we're probably lacking most in. Right? Probably these two, confession and encouragement, but I think encouragement. Where we really are speaking life to one another. Hebrews 10, 25, right? After verse 24 that I read at the first one is verse 25. It says this. Do not or not neglecting to meet together, right? Time and proximity, back to the context. As some are in the habit of. But encouraging one another. Do you get that? Encouraging one another. When you are together, when you are around people in this challenge, in this confession, that there is this sense of encouragement all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I put in this idea of encouragement that there is this essence of forgiveness. There's this, this, this sense of accountability and love that you are not just championing someone for, but you're encouraging them. You're calling out the God giftedness that you see in them, that you are, and, and not in some chintzy or cheesy way, but you are speaking the truth and the gospel life to them, Right? Listen, God has gifted us in, in, in unique ways around this body, bringing us together in unity. We need to call that out, the uniqueness in each person that God has wired and God has created. Listen, there's nothing that gives more life to my soul than when I get in a room of people who truly know me and truly love me, right? Not the superficial stuff, right? But just, just, just encourage my heart in the Lord, right? It's just say, like, Kyle, man, thank you for, for, for doing this or being this. Man, I, I saw this. Maybe often some of the things that I even shun or reject in my own life, people have called out, and it just gives me this renewed sense of, of, of purpose. Right? I, I'm, I'm living in the book of Acts as we study it, right? I, I'm just reading it and feasting on it. You want to know one of the hallmarks in the book of Acts is this idea of encouragement. Even if you simply, on like one of those, the Bible programs or whatever, you just type the word encourage or encouragement, you know the book that it's going to most manifest up? Acts. Encouragement was a central key piece to the new community, the first century church. This was a piece. Acts chapter 16, I just read this. Paul and Silas literally get released from prison. Check it out on your own. 
You know where they go? They go to the house of Lydia and it says that they went there and encouraged the community to bring encouragement, to speak life to them, right? Like that is part, that is content of true belonging. Listen, there are roadblocks to this. And probably even as I was going over some of this content, some of you are like, oh, ah, ooh, ah. You were sensing some of the roadblocks that occur, that have occurred in our church, that have occurred in my own personal life, that have occurred in our lives if you've tried to wade into the waters of belonging and community before. And so let, one of the things I love to do is just to call them out, right? Because the work of the enemy, listen, we are contending as a church. Look at me. We are contending for something so beautiful, right, that the Holy Spirit does, but the enemy absolutely hates contending for a work that only God can bring about as we humble ourselves before him and the enemy wants to oppose it violently. I'm telling you that. And he's going to use these roadblocks to trip us up, right? And the first one is this. It's what I talked about at the very beginning. It's individualism, right? It's individualism. But what we'll see as we belong to God and belong to others as he calls us is that we come under the authority of Jesus, which is absolutely countercultural that we would have to come under the authority of anything. We come under the authority of Jesus. Community calls us, belonging calls us to give up autonomy and love for God and love for others. Check this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And again, I understand the context of this is written in regard to sexual immorality. But listen to the language that Paul uses, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body, your whole being, your whole life, right, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own. Believer, you are not your own. Why? Because you have been bought with a price. So glorify God, purpose, common goal in your body, in your whole life. Here's your point, to glorify God. Why? Because you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are God's. And listen, that should be a place, not of fear, but of security and of hope. That is our position. That is who we belong to. But we live in a culture that idolizes, that worships personal autonomy. And we, in a pursuit of true belonging as disciples, will run up against this idea of individualism time and time again. David Brooks, in in, in one of his um, books, uh, says this. It's a long quote, so, so hear me. He says, our society suffers from a crisis of connection, a crisis of solidarity. We live in a culture of hyper-individualism. Do you feel that? I I hope you do. There is always a tension between self and society, between the individual and the group. Over the past 60 years, he says, we have swung too far toward the self. The only way out is to rebalance, and the Holy Spirit is the only one who can do this, to build a culture that steers people toward what? Relation, community, and commitment. I'll tell you, in our society, we are allergic to all three of those things, right? True relationship, community, and commitment. The dreaded C word. The things we most deeply yearn for, he says. Yet undermine it with our hyper-individualistic way of living. One of the enemies or roadblocks to true gospel community and belonging together will be individualism. And secondly, it will also be idealism. Idealism, right? This is my picture of belonging. This is my picture of community. This is my picture of what a church is. Right? And we've all created them. 
Like, let's just be there, right? We have those pictures in our minds and in our hearts. Like, what does your ideal church look like? Don't say that loud, please. Your ideal community. Probably, if you would get to the root of it, it looks a lot like you. It doesn't disagree with you much. It struggles with the same things you struggle with. And the problem is, one, that doesn't exist. And if it did, you should run as far away from it as possible. Because in it, it would not have the power to accomplish what God sets forth as true community and true belonging. The church, 1 Corinthians 12, tells us, is constructed to have many parts making up the whole. Different parts, different functions, one purpose, the glory of God. You see, idealism in all facets of our life destroys. Maybe the easiest to think about is marriage, right? This is what I see. This is my vision of what marriage is. This is what what my vision of a spouse should be or does. And I'll tell you, idealism has killed so many marriages. Idealism has killed so many forms of community in so many local churches. Listen, maybe even your expectation going into something like praxis groups that we're launching. Maybe it's now I'll get my best friends. And maybe you will. I pray that you do. But you might not. More than anything, what I hope we want as a community of people is that we want to grow together as disciples for the glory of God that we want to allow in the context and proximity of other people over time, the Holy Spirit to work in and through us together so that God might be seen. Idealism is a battle we will fight forever. And the last one is this, is, is how about the roadblock of fear? I described this challenge and confession, encouragement even. Just to be honest, like, that's scary. Like, I'm scared of that. I'm scared of that because do I really want people to know who I am? Do I really want people to know Kyle? The good stuff? Oh, and the ugly parts. If they did, here's what I believe. They wouldn't respect me. They wouldn't like me. They sure wouldn't want to be in a practice group with me. You see, you're at your worst and your best with those closest to you. You want to know the best of Kyle? Talk to Tessa, my wife. You want to know the worst of Kyle? Talk to the same person. I think about that. If I I had a camera attached to me in my home and the way I talk to my wife and the way I talk to my children, you're going to see some, hopefully some gracious, incredible things. You're going to go, man, that's that's awesome. What, What a good to have. What a loving husband. And that guy loves Jesus. And there are other things that you're going to see on there that you're going to go, he's a pastor. What? Oh, I'm out of there. It's true. Right? Have you ever had where you didn't know, but somebody was recording, like not, not secretively or illegally, which by the way, it's illegal to record someone. Like, like my kids will just pick up my phone and like record just random stuff around the house, like video record. 
one of my kids did that, and, and I saw it on my phone. And so I hit play just to see what they were recording. And uh, you hear me in the background. You hear me in the background. I'm like, am I really that gruff? Right? Like, am I, am I, do I really have that tone? Like, I got a picture of myself by listening to it in this video that I didn't know it was being recorded. Think about that. But listen, in community, in true belonging, in those places where you're known and you're loved, listen, it's the best and the worst. And we don't have to fear it. And you know why we don't have to fear it? Because of the gospel. The gospel absolutely levels the playing field for us, right? It levels that playing field that we want to go, listen, I've got to be the best. I've got to be the greatest. I've got to put off this image. No, 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 no. Here's what the gospel says. Listen, we are all sinners in need of grace. We, that's, that's who we are. And so it frees me and it allows me to not fight this fear that goes, no, listen, I've got to present the best to you. So you believe the best in me. Listen, the best in me is not me. The best in me is Jesus. And listen, if people want to judge you, listen, that's not true belonging. That's not true community. They don't get the gospel, right? I want to be with a group of people who understand the gospel, who can see the best and not go, man, Kyle is really good. They see the best and go, Jesus has done a great work. They see the work and say, Jesus is still, they see the worst and say, Jesus is still working in him. Jesus is still moving in his life and he has a long way to go. Why are we still so lonely? Why are we still searching for belonging when we are surrounded by people? Maybe we even attend a church. Maybe we even have good Christian friends. Maybe, just maybe, it's because you share the good stuff, but you never share what is wrong, broken, or confused with others. There is no true sense of vulnerability because of fear. What is driving you is fear. And the gospel rids us of that fear. It calls us away from that into something way more deeper and more beautiful. Something that will allow the Holy Spirit to actually do his work. And that's where I want to end with just the consequence of belonging. The consequence of belonging. Listen, the consequence of belonging is, is not something the Parks Church can manufacture. I'm going to keep saying that. It's not something that practice groups or community groups or small groups or Sunday school or go on down the list of groups or things. The consequence is that it allows fertile soil for the Holy Spirit to do his transformative work. That it provides the space for me to see that I'm part of something so much bigger and more beautiful than myself. The context of true gospel community and belonging is a place where I can see Christ growing in us and in me. But the consequence of true gospel community and belonging is that it will serve as a corporate witness to our community. That this place, if we're serious about belonging, if we're serious about gospel community and this spiritual discipline, it will be, it will be a foreign thing to the watching world. It will be a, a, a noticeable, marked difference about this group of people who are known and who are truly loved because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A group of people challenging one another to become more like Jesus. A group of people confessing to one another their weaknesses and their struggles. Encouraging one another, right? I was sitting with a guy this, this week and he was, he's like, I was, we were talking about this. And he's like, you know what? Kind of sounds like CrossFit. And as you can tell, I don't do CrossFit. Um, I'm like, what are you talking about? Any of you do that crazy stuff, right? You flip tires and climb ropes. Um, 
And he's like, yeah, he's like, he's like it's, it's, it's kind of like this. You know, you come in and people begin to just like cheer. You haven't done anything, right? You haven't picked up a tire. You haven't climbed a rope. You haven't lifted anything, right? But a water bottle. And they just begin to cheer, right? Because you're in this community, right? If you will, you're in this, this, this thing. But you don't stay there, right? He's like, people eventually stop clapping when you're just sitting on the sidelines sipping water. That they're constantly calling you and challenging you. No, further, pressing you. We come in all at different places. But what we're doing is the same. We're constantly pressing on one another. We're constantly encouraging one another. But here is also a consequence of belonging. That it fights against being able to just sit in the middle. That here in this space, in this community, here is what we pray as elders. That it becomes uncomfortable to sit on the sidelines. It is uncomfortable for you and I to live a nominal life on the fence. Right? That, man, we're encouraging, we're challenging, right? We're confessing and we're sharing in life. But then the moment that where it just becomes individualistic and we're kind of going, all right, you know, I'm just going to have this kind of in, half out. Listen, that doesn't, that, that doesn't belong in belonging. And true gospel community will call that out. And it gets uncomfortable. And I'm just telling you that up front. Nominalism is fought in true gospel community. When we truly have belonging with one another, nominalism goes away. Let's be honest. Some of you, you have no need for the community of faith. You have no, no need for belonging in a faith community because you're not really living out your faith. Like what works for you is just attending church on Sunday mornings because that is the extent of your faith. You begin to put these things into practice. You begin to practice the spiritual disciplines. You begin to get serious about abiding in Christ and the Holy Spirit begins to transform you and work on you. Let me tell you what you will utterly know that you need. Someone else. You need the body that Christ provides and died for. You see, the New Testament makes two assumptions. makes a lot of assumptions, I think, but, but two assumptions about you as a believer. The first one is this. I've said it before. That after your profession of faith, that you've been water baptized. Like, the, the, the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized believer, okay? The second assumption that it makes is this. Is that you have belonging with other people, the church. And it understands that it is messy. <laughs> right? It gets it. Belonging, gospel community, it is messy. Spiritual formation, discipleship, right? What we're looking at here, whole life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus is a community project over the long haul. That's it. We belong to God through Christ. And because we belong to God, he says, you belong to one another. 59 times in the New Testament, he talks about one another. Love one another. Honor one another. Serve one another. That's just in Romans, right? Is that the culture of this community? Is that the fabric of, of our DNA? Listen, we're not there yet. We're a distance off. But I pray this is our pursuit by the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, for some of you, that belonging to God, the first piece, isn't there. You haven't trusted the gospel. You haven't trusted that salvation comes not by your doing, but by your believing in Jesus, that he is the only way of salvation to give you belonging with God the Father. That's where it begins. 
Many of you have trusted that. I want to challenge you, those of you who have trusted that, who don't find yourself in this kind of community or in this kind of belonging. Listen, start and understand that it is a long journey, the long haul of vulnerability together. Those of you who, man, God has, by his grace, has given you those places and those people, stay after it. Let me encourage you, stay after it. You say, man, I'm kind of growing disenchanted with those folks. That's kind of messy. Welcome to life together, right? Welcome to the journey. God help us. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we we cannot do this apart from you. Nor do we want to. God, we confess how often, I confess how often I have tried futilely, failing every time. So God, I pray even as we fix our minds and our hearts, our attention upon you, that the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ would remind us that we belong to you. That that is the That is the foundation in which we understand our belonging to one another. That is the foundation to which we can encourage and challenge and confess one to another and not be destroyed by it, but actually be built up by it. Lord, we're asking, we're contending that your spirit might grow a unity and a belonging and a community here at the Parks Church that is foreign even to us in the church, that is a powerful witness to those who are just peering in. God, that we would be welcoming people into this community, welcoming people into the family of God through salvation and through sanctification, through the journey ahead, not with answers, but with Jesus. God, I pray the image that you give us between Father, you and the Son and the Spirit would be the image that we mirror, not just in what we do, but how we how we live out relationships one to another. Deferring, loving, honoring one another above ourselves. So here's my prayer. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in our lives individually and in our lives collectively and corporately. Father, for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.